Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson, and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, doing business and doing life. What's up, guys? Today, Brad's going to be talking with Triad member Steve Strickland. He is the president and founder at Wise Wealth, an independent full-service wealth management firm. This is going to be a super inspiring episode for any of the advisors out there who are trying to grow, have had success, and have just kind of hit this plateau and need to figure out how to shift and create that momentum and hit that next level. I think the coolest part about Steven's story is his willingness to evolve and adapt. He built his RAA from the ground up, but like so many of the other advisors that we speak with and know, right, he was trapped into this broken cycle of needing to work more in order to keep all of these plates spinning. And while he had a team, unfortunately, they weren't aligned or moving together in the same direction. And despite being in the business for 15 years, having incredible success and building an insane brand inside of it, he had the humility to let go of what wasn't working and pivot. And today you're going to hear exactly how he restructured his company, built a collective vision for his team and created a business that could scale and hit the next level. So before we get to the show, I've got something super special lined up for DBDL listeners. We're going to open up three 30-minute one-on-one coaching calls with Brad. If you want to grab one of those three slots, what you can do is text the word coaching to the DBDL Insider phone number. Uh, It's also in the show notes, but it's 785-800-3235. We'll send you a link to apply for one of those three slots. This is going to be an amazing opportunity to tap into Brad's wisdom. Uh, please note text messaging data rates may apply. You can opt out of receiving text messages at any time by replying stop to any message you receive. Show notes that include links to all the resources folks mentioned and people discussed are available at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 48, which is also going to have a link to apply for that coaching conversation. As always, thanks for listening. This is an awesome conversation with an amazing human, an incredible advisor. So without further delay, today's conversation with Steven Strickland. Welcome back to another episode of Do Business, Do Life. Excited to have another Triad member spotlight here today with Triad member Stephen Strickland. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Brad, it's uh, great to finally be on the podcast with you, man. Appreciate it. I've been looking forward to it. You were kind enough, you know, just being right down the road from Lawrence, right there in kind of the Kansas City metro. Last year, we had a Triad meeting right at the end of the year. And I think it's always really important if you're going to stay member obsessed. You've got to have your members actually come in, your clients come in and, you know, share what you're doing well, share maybe where you've got some opportunity for improvement. And you were kind enough to come down. And we, I think we had a, an hour long conversation on what Triad was doing for you, kind of how you got in the business. And it was a really fun conversation. So we already did kind of an impromptu version. Now we're just going to record it and put it out to the world. So I've, I've been looking forward to part two of that. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Lawrence is a fun town. Hopefully a lot of the uh, people listening, watching have been to Lawrence, but it's a cool place to go and hang out. You guys have a great team there. It was it was actually cool to do it like in front of a live audience. This is just, you know, me and you, but when we're asking these questions, you could see people's, uh, you know, feedback, reaction, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, as we kick it off here, one of the goals on, on Member Spotlight, obviously you've been in the business a while. You know, it's the school of hard knocks sometimes in financial services where it's the, here's all the mistakes I made that I won't do again. Here's all the stuff that's actually worked. And this show's always been a, a really fun mix of both of those. But I think you can always learn a lot from your path into financial services. And you have a really unique one that started more down the educational lane. Mm-hmm. So would you mind just sharing with the listeners here 
you know, kind of your track, like what led you into financial services? Absolutely. When you first started saying that, I thought of this quote that I heard before that said something like, it took me 15 years to become an overnight success. You know, some people look, hey man, this guy just, you know, silver spoon in his mouth, overnight success, but they don't see all the things that went in there, all the mistakes that you made to get to where you are. So yeah, just for me real briefly, I would just let everybody know that I, before I became a financial planner, before I got into this industry, I was a high school teacher and a coach. I was at a private Christian school in Rhode Island of all places, moved out to the Midwest, moved out to Kansas City, and really thought that I may actually follow my dad's footsteps. My dad was a pastor of a church, and I thought I might go into like full-time you know, Christian service ministry and things like that. And so I came to Kansas City when I got here. You may or may not even know this, but I came here to go to seminary. When I got to the seminary here, the philosophy was, hey, we do classes on nights and weekends, and you work a regular job during the week. And so I'd always been interested in money and finances. So during the week, I started selling insurance to teachers. I got my insurance license. I had been a high school teacher and a coach, so I felt like comfortable talking to teachers. And basically what that meant was you buy Krispy Kreme donuts, you sit in the teacher's lounge, you wait for the teachers to come in, and uh, you sell them auto and homeowner's insurance and things like that. But that's what got me into the business. So I'm doing this during the day, going to seminary classes at night, trying to figure out what God wants us to do. And someone handed me a book by Dave Ramsey. And at the time, I'd never heard of Dave Ramsey in my life. This was 2003, 2004. It was called The Total Money Makeover. When I read that book, a light bulb went off in my mind. And I just felt like after reading that book that, you know what, I need to get myself straightened out financially in my wife and our family. And then what I really want to do is help other people do this. I literally all of a sudden felt like this was it. This is my calling. Wow. I had to go to Kansas City, Missouri to figure out this is what I'm supposed to be doing. My passion, my calling is not necessarily serving in a church, but serving the church. You know what I mean, I wanted to help people be free to give, to serve, to enjoy life, to get out of debt, to be able to retire with confidence and freedom. And so it literally changed the whole direction of my life. And I'll tell the end of the story real quick. I went from this teacher insurance company to AG Edwards, where I got all my securities licenses. Oh, yeah. Then I worked for a few years on the plaza. So I'm duly licensed. I have insurance and investments. And then I was able to start my own firm called Wise Wealth back in 2007, as an RIA. So I started right away from day one. I really didn't know anybody, didn't know anything. I had no clients, no assets, but I started the firm in 2007, but I called it wise wealth. You know, pretty much that tells everybody kind of what our philosophy is here. We always tell everybody we are an education-based financial planning firm. Teaching is who I am. Teaching is what I've always done. Teaching is what I do here. It's just not math and you know history and all these other things I was doing before, it's helping people plan for retirement. And then Wise Wealth, the name Wise Wealth came from Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. Through wisdom is a house built, by understanding it is established, and by knowledge are the rooms filled with pleasant and precious riches. So I saw a principle in the Bible when I was studying that, Wise Wealth, first wisdom, then wealth. So that's like the cornerstone of our firm. And we do that all through education. So yeah, I was a teacher before. I'm a teacher now. That's, that's such a cool story. Fun fact, yeah. A.G. Edwards was the very first investment account I ever opened. I, hey. A guy that we went to church with back in the day in Minneapolis, Kansas, worked at A.G. Yeah. Edwards in Salina, Kansas. And so it was, <laughs> there wasn't much in there, but uh, that was my first investment yeah. account. Well, I so you said a lot there. I want to go back to 
you did something really interesting. And this is what I love about financial services, Stephen, is you can build the firm that's almost like a unique version of you, your own DNA. You were a teacher. Obviously, Mm -hmm. faith is really important to you. You've integrated both of those into your current business model. But one of the things, it's funny, you started your RIA the exact same year I got in the business, 2007. So one of the things as I grew up in this space, I saw a lot of different marketing funnels and different Mm -hmm. ways to approach getting qualified appointments on the calendar. And there were a lot of what I would call, instead of dinner seminars, educational events. But you as a teacher, you kind of naturally gravitated towards that. So let's let's go down that journey because you started doing, and if there's anything before that, feel free to fill that in, but you started doing these educational events. And I love the unique spin that you've put on them since you've kind of created your own version, not somebody else's version. And there's a lot of somebody else's versions floating around the industry, but take us down that path of how, how you got into it and then how you arrived where you are today on that. Yeah. So uh, the one advantage, and not everybody has to be a public speaker. One thing that I would just say that a lot of my training, even in college, was speech and drama and public speaking. So one thing I've always been comfortable with is speaking in public. And so I realized early on that I think the way to be successful is not one-on-one. I didn't have a natural market in Kansas City. I was not from here. I didn't grow up here. I lived 28 years in Rhode Island before I moved here and started a financial planning firm. So for me, it was going to have to be one-to-many marketing. I knew I always have to stand up in front of a group of people and not do this one-on-one uh, you know, relationship referral type of business, especially to get started. Certainly, as we've grown, there's a lot more of that than there was at the beginning. At the beginning, it had to be me standing in front of a group of people. And so what I did at the beginning, I think this is important, is I also didn't necessarily have my own audience. So I borrowed someone else's audience. And what I mean by that is, I, you know, for whatever it's worth, I mean, I got connected to Dave Ramsey at the time. He was doing a financial peace university classes all over the place. So I would look up all the churches in town that was holding financial peace university. And I would say, hey, I'm a Dave Ramsey guy. Can I come in and talk to your class on this day or whatever? So I borrowed someone else's stage, borrowed someone else's audience and went in there and taught. And that's how I brought in a lot of clients early on. And I think there's ways to do that if you don't have your own platform to stand on. Then in the industry, you start finding out these things like, hey, you know, people are doing dinner seminars. So I got started doing dinner seminars. And I'm going to come back to this later on because this year in 2024 is the first year I'm doing dinner seminars again. So I want to get ready to say I don't want anyone to think that I think dinner seminars is not the right way to do it because this year I have 32 on the calendar already. But when I first started doing dinner seminars, like 2009, 2010, 2011, I just was uncomfortable with it. I felt like it turned me into a salesperson. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a teacher. I was a certified financial planner, by the way. It's one of the first things I did. I wanted to be credible as a financial advisor. So I went out and got the CFP. So when I was doing these dinner seminars, I felt like, hey, I'm spending all this money on people that I don't you don't know. I'm trying to get them to like me, trust me. I'm giving them extremely what I felt like valuable information, offering them a free consultation, and then half the room would not come in. So I, I just personally wasn't used to that system. And it was like, it really bothered me, the people that didn't show up more than the people that did show up. Certainly mm-hmm. we got clients, we got assets, people were coming in the door, uh, we were growing. But I personally, as a speaker, as an educator, I was not comfortable doing this. And I think 
you're going to be successful with the things that you're comfortable doing. And I think somehow it comes across. So if you're standing up there and you feel like you're a salesperson, they think you're a salesperson. And so because it was in my mindset that I'm here to try to get these people to sign up for an appointment because I was desperate. You know what I mean? I think <laughs> since that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So for, I was trying to figure out a way to get out of the dinner seminar thing. And all of a sudden I found out, okay, there's a couple of programs out there. Like you said, they found out it's education. People would pay to come take the class. It was not sales. It wasn't a one hour dinner seminar. In fact, there was no food. It was two days. It was five hours. People paid to come. And what I found out when I did that, it's not necessarily because it was that, it's because it fit more who I am. All of a sudden, I became even a lot more successful because I this is what I wanted to do. I felt like the people in the room were the people that wanted to be there. They were serious about it. They weren't there to get something free because they paid. And so really from that point forward, I feel like my business took off. I, I did a couple of different programs that were out there in like 2015, 16, and maybe part of 17. But then I wrote a course in 2018 called Simplify Your Retirement. That's the one we've used ever since then. But I liked the format, the two days, five hours where people pay, but then I just wanted to make it my own and really use that course, almost like buyer conditioning. I would condition everybody on what to expect when they came into our office and what they thought they needed uh, when they came in, that kind of stuff. So we just teach them. And so when they came in, they knew what to expect. They knew, we knew, they knew what to expect, what they wanted to get from us and all kinds of stuff. And so it really took off from there. And I think more than the fact that it was dinner versus, you know, the course, it was more of it fit who I am better, who I felt about myself uh, when I was standing up teaching and educating and that kind of stuff. I, I love that. There's a ton of insight there, but the thing that sticks out in my mind the most, obviously, Chris Smith has been a big part of our community at Triad. And he says something to the effect of it's not what you say. It's who you are while you're saying it. Mm-hmm. And it makes natural sense with your background in education, a dinner seminar and only sitting half the room would be like, if you were teaching a class and half the students walked out, you know, you'd be like, <laughs> what's, go- what's going on here. That's right. And so, so it, it makes a lot of sense that you naturally gravitated towards that. It fit who you were. And I'm going to make an assumption, but I want you to come back and tell me the truth because it's funny. I've heard the term rip off and duplicate a lot in our industry. And I think there's a lot of merit in that, especially when you're just getting started. You borrowed Dave Ramsey's platform. Then you went to education. You borrowed somebody else's program. And then you said, wait a sec, I've kind of got this down. I understand the system. Now I'm going to create my version of an educational class. And you did that. And we'll get into this a little later, but then the class became a book And now fast forward to 2024, now you're going back into dinner seminars. My assumption is it's because you've now grown up in the business. You're much more comfortable in your own skin. You've got some, you know, some school of hard knocks, some wisdom acquired along the way. I'm assuming going back into the dinner seminars is now you're doing dinner seminars on your terms. And here's who we are when we're doing a dinner seminar. Like what's the thought process behind going back into them? Yeah. And again, just like as you were talking, uh, you know, a lot of thoughts are my mind too. It's like, you can't fake authenticity. And I think, like you said, when you stand up, you know how it is in the dinner seminar, you know, circuit as it were, you have to kind of like work the room and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and make, you know, tell the jokes and all this kind of stuff. And so when I started teaching the class, I didn't have to do that. I was the yep. professor. They came to, they paid to take the class. 
We didn't have any food there. I'd walk in the door. I really didn't have to do small talk. No class, you know, college professor is going to do that. You didn't have to start with a story. You just got right into it. You know, that kind of stuff. So that, you know, made me feel really comfortable doing that. And like you said, uh, you want everybody to win. If you're a true teacher, uh, you want them all to get it. You want them all to get wisdom. And this is one of the mm-hmm. things that's important to me. It's not just knowledge. It's not just education. People can get that online. So that's how I would start my class. Hey, if you come here and you only get more information great you know what i mean if you don't get wisdom this was not going to be you know the mm. best use for time you got to you got to do something with this and so i you know fast forward you know this year you you've been around in the business uh, brad you know like you said earlier on it's like there was a time where dinner seminars were really strong and then all of a sudden education courses came in i was kind of ahead of that curve you know what i mean i started doing education mm-hmm. courses before a lot of other people were now all of a sudden that kind of has run its course and i've seen this over time sometimes things come and go i don't know if it's because of covid or whatever less people are responding to that sort of method having to come into a room for five hours two days life is busy and so if you're going to be successful in this business, you cannot get stuck. And, and that's one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to say, hey, this is the only thing that works for me. I'm only going to do this one thing. Hey, times change and I need to change too. And so that's one of the motivations. Uh, I've seen the numbers decline there, not in terms of uh, the number of people that become clients versus who attend. It's just the total number of people that attend. Yeah. And so yeah. you, you know, I've got to change. And so the dinner seminars, the difference now is that I think I can go into a dinner seminar as a teacher and as an educator and not as a salesperson. I have enough confidence in myself, in my team, in what we have available, what we have to offer, that it's extremely valuable that I, you know, they they need to take us up on that offer, or really they're the ones who are missing out, you know, not me. So it's almost mm-hmm. more like a, a different mentality where before maybe I was more of a scarcity mentality. I needed yeah. them. Now it's kind of like you're coming in there and I know they need us. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's just like, I think yeah. it's just like a quiet, what I see with a lot of our triad members, obviously we work with some really successful advisors all across the country, it's like a quiet confidence because you've earned it. You've figured your way out. And one of the things I think when I look at just the topic of live events, which could be educational. It could be dinner seminars. And there's a lot of different flavors in between there. The general population has all different types of personalities that respond to different offers. For some, a night away from home to learn about finance might be a steak at Roos Chris or Capitol Grill in your neck of the woods, right? And for others, it might be, you know what? I don't want a steak. I want to go invest in myself right? In my wisdom. And neither of those are wrong. It's just Mm -hmm. two different ways to meet people you can help in my book. That shows a ton of growth mindset just in you. Like you're not stuck in your ways. I'm going to look at the marketplace. How Mm -hmm. can we serve it? I'm going to constantly evolve. I do tend to see like if I did a really broad blanket across the industry Mm -hmm. and I want to challenge, I want to ask you because you've done both. What I've heard from, from offices doing educational events, less people in the room Mm -hmm. with typically more money. Yep. Where dinner seminars, more people in the room with maybe a lower average investable net worth, but more appointments, more numbers. I know you've done both, Stephen. So what has been your experience as far as when it comes to results, when it comes to education or when it comes to dinner seminars? Um, I would say definitely 100%. That that was my, uh, the actual things that happened, the results in our meetings. I did feel like from day one, as far as the educational courses, 
that we were getting higher quality people in the room, more qualified clients, more people that we would identify as top clients. And I know this is one of the things I like to look back on, and I encourage you know, advisors when they're starting out to look at, and that is go look at your top client list. You know, obviously see if there's any similarities between them, number one. Also see where they came from. Also see any marketing you're doing. Would they have ever responded to something like that? Certainly back at that time, I looked at the people that came from our dinner seminars, and I thought, well, I don't, I don't know if I'd consider most of them a top client in terms of asset size or attitude or the case of the ones who came to these education courses, they have bought in. You know what I mean? They come in the door already with a sense of trust. I mean, they spent five hours with you. Uh, they know if they like you. They know if they can trust you. They know if they want to move forward. They, they know there's no surprises when they get into your office. You told them exactly how you do business, exactly the recommendations you're going to make on every aspect. And so and that's why I called it earlier buyer conditioning. So I like that aspect mm -hmm. of it. And certainly it doesn't ever have to be all or nothing. Certainly some people could still do both. And certainly we may still need to do that. And so, but yes, I felt like there's higher net worth people. The people that are going to come to a course and pay for it normally are people that are high net worth. Some of the highest net worth people may or may not come to a free dinner, but they, you know, it doesn't mean they won't. You know, they certainly could, they certainly might. But to go back to your, to answer your question, yes, our experience was lower, less people in the room higher net worth, higher qualified clients. That being said, you have to keep, you know, producing, you know, in our case, we want to help as many people as we can. We can help the fact that uh, you're, you're still going to send out, you're still going to spend five, $10,000 on a mailer. And so mm -hmm. if you're only going to get, you know, if you're going to do a 10,000 piece mailer and you'd like to get at least 10 people in the room and that's, that's ridiculous numbers. That's the reality. It's very difficult. We've noticed the last year or so to get a lot of people in that room. Is it still worth it? It was still worth it to me to do it. Whatever, how many times I did it last year, 12, 13 times. You know what I mean? But you just kind of want to see, you know, can you get more people in the room, get more at bats and, you know, get more results, but just maybe lower you know, asset size plants. Yeah. And the other thing, I, because I know, because I've watched your firm grow since you've been at Triad, as you have a team to serve with multiple advisors, I think that's oftentimes where I see an inflection point where maybe one firm was built on kind of one really pillar marketing firm or marketing method, right? Where for you, that was a lot of these educational events. And as you add more advisors, you have more mouths to feed, right? And so that's oftentimes where I'll see like, okay, well, it's time to add a second, third, fourth, fifth marketing funnel. Because the cool thing now is, you know, your philosophy as a firm, mm -hmm. you've had, I mean, 2007, you've had uh, going on almost two decades. Here is mm -hmm. the philosophy. That's, that's clear. Yeah. Here's what we're about. Here's how we serve people. And now it's just a different way, yep. a different road to wise well for people to get there. And now if you give people multiple ways to get to wise well, that yep. gives you the opportunity and not just obviously you be the solo advisor, but have multiple advisors on the team. So I, I love that approach. Yep. It makes a lot of sense. And now your dinner seminars are gonna be that much more impactful because of all that work you've done. Absolutely. And I, what you just said is a, is a great point. And I think that's part of it. So for a lot of years, even though I had support, I had operations people, I had support people, I had other advisors who were out there getting their own clients, doing their own education courses, doing their own marketing. So still, everybody that was coming to these courses, part of the deal was they got to meet with me. It wasn't, here, I'm going to let you you know, talk to somebody on my team. 
or they wanted to meet with me. And so you're right about that. I think over time, it's like, well, now it's not just me. I need to get more at bats here for my team and they're all ready to go. And mm-hmm. so, and I think reorganizing the firm, the operational structure of the firm definitely lends itself to saying, hey, we need more people in the funnel. We need more people in here, even though it may not be 100% the top high network person that I personally would deal with. Um, if it was just mm-hmm. me, myself, and I, absolutely, I should just do education seminars because 10 people are in the room, eight of them come in and meet. I've got time to deal with it. It all works. But now when you're saying, yeah, you've got other advisors that are that are not doing their own marketing, they're dependent on deferred marketing, that does change everything. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, um, obviously, I mean, COVID wasn't that long ago. I remember I was in uh, Dallas, Texas at an actual industry event. Mm-hmm. At the Four Seasons, beautiful property. It was spring break. So I was there with my whole family. And I remember I was sitting having a, a drink at the bar at the end of the night with one of my clients at the time. And I looked up on ESPN and the NBA season got canceled. Right. And that's where it went from, hey, there's this thing going on in China to, yeah. oh, there's there's something going on here. And I remember literally that whole next day, everybody was walking around like zombies, like, what are we gonna do? Because mm-hmm. you know, all the dinner seminars. All the educational right. events just went out the window. So I share that story just to make the point. The cool thing about being an independent advisor is you're an entrepreneur. That's what you are. You're running a business. And the more diverse your marketing methods, the more bulletproof, whatever thing we don't know that's right around the corner, the more you're going to be able to evolve and adapt. And so I, I love the fact that you're continuing to diversify your marketing as you grow the team. Yeah, that's the key word. You know what I mean? We all, as financial advisors, we all say uh, we believe in diversification. And then sometimes you meet a financial advisor where the only way they do one thing. Uh, their entire business is built on one marketing funnel. And I would just say, I think that's a dangerous thing to do because of COVID, things like that. So, I, you know, I believe in, uh, you know, spreading out the different marketing funnels. Sometimes we find out uh, that one is more successful than other during certain seasons of the year. We don't know. All we know is that success comes from activity. And so we've got to be doing multiple things. And so, yeah, we're going to do the radio ads. We have radio ads going on. We're in a magazine. Yeah, we're doing things online and digital you know, media and Facebook and YouTube. And then we're also doing dinner seminars. Which one of these is going to work? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? We believe that all of them work. We don't know which one. They all kind of go together. And I, and I think, you know, all of a sudden, sometimes all of a sudden we'll get hundreds, you know, tons of quiz leads from the radio, from something else. We don't know YouTube, but then maybe it's the dinner seminar. So I would just, I think it's a very strong point to not get stuck, especially when things happen like COVID, but just in general, I, I don't think it's a great business strategy to only have one method of marketing. Uh, you have multiple streams of marketing things that are out there. And uh, and that's just what I've learned over the years. Sometimes one's working better than yeah. others. Sometimes life insurance, we we do tons of life insurance business. Sometimes we'll do tons of annuities. Sometimes it's AUM. It's the same kind of thing. And kind of the business just has those do them all. You know what I mean? Don't only, and I would just say the same thing. It's the reason why I believe everyone should be registered and insurance licensed. Sometimes there's times where everyone wants to keep their money safe. And there's sometimes where everybody wants to have their money in the market. You've got to be ready and able to do to do both, I think. I, I've heard the term on that last point you made, Stephen. And we've hit this on a couple past, but I, I'm just going to hit it right now because you just brought it up. The word fiduciary has been weaponized a bit in our industry, right? Yeah. Like, I'm a fiduciary. Well, it's been turned into a marketing term 
because to its truest sense, you know this as a, a Series 65 guy, as a CFP, mm-hmm. a financial planner, fiduciary means you're legally obligated to serve your clients right. first, right? Yep. And to your point, if you, because of licensing, have removed a number of the tools from your toolbox, now it's like you're building a house with half a toolbox, right? Like how, how solid of a structure are you going to build? And I think oftentimes in financial services, and it's kind of the church you grew up in. You started at AG Edwards. Were they like pro insurance and asset management or what they was kind of their philosophy at the time? Investment mostly, investment only. So I kind of came from both schools. One place I was at, insurance only, no investments. Next place I went to, investment only, no insurance. And I was like, thankfully, I realized that, you know what, there's a place for both. Yeah. So that's a solid point. You grew up in the church. Different churches have different religions, right? And when you got in the world of finance, you went, your first religion at your first firm was insurance only. The next one was asset management only. And you're like, wait, this is kind of silly. I'm just going to do everything because clients just want the tool that's going to most efficiently accomplish the goal. Right. So I I love that. It's it's, it's definitely one of my, you know, big soapboxes. And I think it's one of the things that the consumers in general, this is what confuses them. They'll turn on the radio and some guy in the radio will be talking about how, uh, you know, the stock market's a casino, it's gambling and all these things. And you should protect all your money. And someone else will get on there and say uh, that insurance companies are a ripoff. And it's like, I always have to, when we, we pull back the curtain, when I'm teaching my classes, I say, look, I mean, the only way to get objective advice is to go to somebody or go to a firm that offers both. It doesn't mean that the insurance only guy or person is bad. It doesn't mean that the investment only girl is good or bad. They may be good people. They may do the best they possibly can. It's nothing to do with them personally, but you cannot possibly get objective advice from somebody who only offers one thing. And so I said from the beginning, we're going to be objective. We're going to be full service. Not There's no right or wrong. It comes down to fit. And so we really wanted to be objectivity is one of the core principles of you know ethics. It's one of the four core principles of being a financial planner, being a fiduciary. And so what bothers me about it is the consumers get confused by it. Uh, they think if your card yeah. says, registered rep, you know what I mean? Like my card used to say when I was an insurance guy that I could sell investments. Well, no, I couldn't. When my business card used to say financial advisor, you would think, okay, you can do insurance. Well, no, I can only do investments. And so the industry gets confused. I think us as planners, I would just say to anybody who's a, has a bent one way or the other, whether you personally want to get licensed or not the other way, bring someone else in who is. So your firm can be objective. And like you said, I believe personally, the only way to be a true fiduciary, to act in the client's best interest, because the reality is sometimes it is investment, sometimes it is insurance, is to offer both mm-hmm. your firm or partner with somebody who does. Yeah, yeah. I want to go back. You hit something and you talked about evolving. And you know, I think in any business, if you don't choose to evolve, you're dead, mm-hmm. <laughs> like over time as, as things change in the world. I mean, ask Kodak, ask some of the biggest brands that were out there that no longer exist if you don't evolve. And one of the things, the blockbuster is another one. You know, I, that was my, my wife and I's date night was, was go get the, the video off the shelf at Blockbuster back in college. So one of the things that as you built your firm and when we first met, you had a model and you put it into your words, but I'll, I'll use my description of it. You had a model that kind of like, if I look at when I first got into insurance, there was a lot of what I would call agencies, which were, you know, here's the head of hierarchy. And then they called the term sub agents where people were kind of stacked underneath them. Some people had like a hundred sub agents. 
and it might mean I make a little bit on them and the value brought depended on the firm, but oftentimes it was kind of like, okay, here's this. And then I've got this level and then I've got another level. I mean, I saw some hierarchies where they're like six levels. It was super confusing. And I'd call like that the old school life insurance agency model. And what I saw the industry evolve to over time, because when I talked to those guys, they're like, oh, I just trained my competition. He's down the road now and he didn't stick around. And I saw the firm or the industry kind of evolve to more of a model. What I would say the top scaling firms where their people didn't leave every year or two mm-hmm. was more of what a law firm would do, more of a firm where, you know, at a law firm, you <clears throat> hire a, a, a young go-getter, they earn their stripes, and eventually, hopefully, they make partner and they're part mm-hmm. of the firm. And obviously, they're not over practicing some legal practice that the firm doesn't approve mm-hmm. of either. So it's yeah. all kind of congruent with here's our approach. And I've seen your firm over the last few years really make that change. And I'm not passing any judgment on like the model you had when you got there, but I know there was a lot of thought. We had a lot of conversations, but if you were talking to advisors out there listening in that maybe kind of have a, oh, I met a guy at the country club. I threw him under my hierarchy versus how you're now building the firm today. What are the lessons you learned along the way? Uh, That's a great question. One thing that keeps coming to my mind is one of these, uh, a philosophy that I have that I teach my team about is just the statement that goes like this, how you get them is how you keep them. So I'm going to think mm-hmm. about this in terms of the advisors that you bring in, but also the clients that we bring in. I always tell my team how you get them is how you keep them. So if you got them through education, you're going to keep them through education. If you got them through service, you're going to keep them through service. If you got them because, excuse me, your portfolio is better than someone else's or your rate of return mm-hmm. is better someone else's, it's going to be hard to keep them. If that's how you got your client by selling against somebody else because you're 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 better than them for the last five years, then it's kind of built on a, a sinking sand. And so how you get them is how you keep them. What is your value proposition? So I would just say early on, same thing with bringing on new advisors. As we all grow in the business, we're going to bring on other people that can produce. And so if you bring on advisors and the way you brought them in was, hey, You've already been out there. You're you're already a financial advisor. You already have a book of business. Come in and do that same book of business under my firm name. You're going to get paid more because we don't have all the structure of compliance and overhead, all these things. Mm-hmm. But keep doing what you're doing, just do it here. And I'm going to get paid an override on this. And so that was my philosophy when I first started bringing on new advisors. Hey, there's a Merrill Lynch advisor over here. She's successful. There's a Merrill Lynch advisor over here. He's successful. They're not, you know, major big yet. We can help them grow. This can be a win-win. They can grow their business here, bring over whatever assets you can. We'll pay you a certain amount on that and just keep growing there. But what happens is over time, you realize, hey, you know, they're out there doing their own marketing. Uh, They're doing their own, you know, they're building their own business. Their clients that they brought over and their new clients are kind of looking at them as they're the advisor, not the firm. You know what I mean? They're their clients, not the firm clients and all this kind of stuff. And so, so it's hard to build a firm where everyone's on the same team. And just, you know, to be very transparent, what happened here is I had four, what I'll call independent financial advisors. They were all responsible for themselves. They were all responsible for bringing their own business. And they were all very good financial advisors, successful in their own right, that kind of stuff. But for the portion of the override that we got, we had to figure out, okay, how much of our office space do they get to use for that? How much of my team's resources do they get to use? How many copies per month is that worth? How how much of our tax plan? You know what I mean? It just got difficult because they were on part of the firm under the umbrella, but not really on the team. 
Do they have their own clients, that kind of stuff. And so it just became a situation where as we continue to grow and as they continue to grow, and we met uh, some guys at uh, Triad who pointed out to me that, hey, man, this is not a business model that is scalable. This is not a way to build an actual firm value and these kinds of things. And so I was feeling it, you know what I mean? And didn't know you're a business yeah. but you guys, talked to you guys and you you had this other model. I said, you know what? That's the way to do it. So I'll just, I'll fast forward. I went to these independent advisors that we had. They all understood it. They were entrepreneurial. And so we were able to, you know, over last year, toward the end of this year, get them all out to be fully independent so that we could say anybody under the name Wise Wealth is no longer an independent advisor. You're an advisor of the firm. Everyone yes. full access to everybody. All of our clients get full access to you. You get full access to everything else. And so, and I think that's just a model that puts everybody on the same page, the same team. It's scalable. It's exciting. It's empowering. And, and really the way that you guys teach people how to build their business is the right way to do it. And so now we're in a situation where uh, we have, you know, what we'll call lead advisors and then service advisors or relationship advisors. All of these financial advisors, there's four total, two lead advisors, two relationship service advisors. All four of them could try to go out there and bring in their own business. All four of them are very good financial advisors, qualified, but we brought them in differently. We didn't say to them, your job is to go out and get new clients. Your job is to go out and bring in business for the firm. No, your job is now when we get a lead, the lead advisors, here's what your role is. You take them through the first meeting. You take them through the second meeting. You get them to become a client. That's your strength. Now we have these two relationship advisors over here. Their strength is service, relationships, love, and all that kind of stuff. And so now we've got the setup where we can bring in more prospects. The funnel can be larger. It's no, no one has to meet with me. And so now all of a sudden we have four financial advisors, including myself, but all of them are what we call team advisors. They have a role on the team. They're not responsible. They're salaried. They're bonused. They're not required to go out and try to bring in their own business for the firm. And so there's just a difference in unity. There's a difference in uh, we're all reaching for the same goal. I can stand up in a team meeting like I did yesterday uh, to start this year and say, hey, here's the goal for the team for the year. It's not on you as one person. It's not. It's on all of us together. And so at my firm now, there's five, five of us of advisors. And there's, you know, we have tax and legal and these things, but there's 11 people total on the team. couple words come to mind, alignment and congruency. Alignment on your team, not a bunch of individual players all under the same roof that are kind of playing their own games, but one collective team, all with a collective vision. And yep. then when I say congruency, congruency for the people, because if you think about it, Wise Wealth, the founder, you had a vision. You articulated that already earlier in this conversation, but guess what? If you've got four other independent advisors kind of as roommates under the same roof, they don't have that same vision of wise wealth. They have whatever their individual vision was when they became advisors. So now if they're out in the marketplace messaging that, there's confusion, right? And so I love that you realize that. And by the way, I just, I want to give you credit because in almost two decades of coaching, Sometimes when you're down a path a ways as an advisor, and it might be painful to stop and turn around, go back and take another turn. A lot of advisors are like, oh, I should have done that, but I'm not going to mess with it. But testament to you 
to having the courage to be able to like, you know what, as I think about it and you spent time, we had multiple conversations mm-hmm. as you were kind of unpacking the problem, but you, you have the ability to say, you know what, I don't think this is congruent with where I want to go as a firm. Yep. And you, you made the change and it, you know, it involved probably a few conversations and some in, internal yep. restructuring. So in the, yeah, congratulations yeah. to you. Yeah. I appreciate that very much. And, uh, and credit to you guys, uh, credit to you and Sean, you know, I, I think anybody who, if people that are listening, they're part of the triad community, they get this. If someone's listening, who's not, um, I would just say that a lot of us in the industry that have been around for a while have had success. You're used to talking to, uh, you know, an IMO or a business coach, and you're used to going in and them giving you a pat on the back and letting you know that you're wonderful, you're great, you, nothing should change. Uh, we're just going to help you do more business, we're going to do better. I was not expecting that my first visit with you guys, you know, at a triad to be told, I had already been doing this for 15 years. I was not expecting to be told, hey, you're kind of going down the wrong path, but I mean, you're not doing this. You could do this better if you really want help. You know what I mean? It was like, no one had told me that. And I'm being honest. I mean, so it was like, it was almost yeah. refreshing uh, for someone to finally have the guts, you know what I mean? The courage, because yeah. I wasn't signed up. I wasn't, I wasn't on board. I wasn't, you know, with Triad yet. You guys told me this before I ever joined the community. Hey man, we're just going to tell you right now, if you're going to join us, we we think you need to do this different. And what I appreciated that, you know, that really made a big difference to my team. The other thing I'm going to go back to is, uh, what I said earlier as far as teaching versus selling, being true to your authentic self. I think if you want to be a business owner and have a team and you buy into what you and I are talking about today, the people that you need to let go that are not under that same philosophy, uh, you're going to be better off when it's said and done. They may be feeling the same thing. They may agree with you that that's how you should do it. So you just have the courage you know, to make the move. Um, or give them the opportunity to come in on, on, on board. I gave all the advisors that were independent a chance to come back in and say, hey, here's how we're doing it going forward. You either come in under this umbrella, under this new approach, or you go out independent. If you go out independent, we're going to be for you. We're going to support you. We're happy for you. But here's how we're doing this going forward. And then now you're authentic again. Now you can do this again and build a team. I decided that I'm not going to be an RIA to where I'm bringing in other IARs. We're not built like that. We don't have the infrastructure for that. We're built to build this team and make it scalable and grow. Yeah. As you were explaining how kind of early on you had kind of added different independent advisors and the term I use in the industry on coaching calls is it's like roommates, you know, they're, they're roommates, but you could have very philosophical differences, but still live under the same roof. But there's a scene out of the founder. And I think we've actually talked about this, the, the story of Ray Kroc and McDonald's, but mm-hmm. it's when Michael Keaton in the movie drive, he's a milkshake machine sales guy. And he drives to the original McDonald's when it first opened, because they put yeah. on the biggest order he's ever gotten. Right. And he's like, I've got one word franchise. And they're like, we've already tried it. It didn't work. And he's like, how could this fail? This is like fail proof. He drives to the first franchise in Arizona and there's a McDonald's selling like burritos and tacos. (laughs) And basically what, what you experienced was like a different version of that, right? You had these other advisors, but they had completely different stuff on the menu. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're going to build any brand or any business that can scale, I mean, McDonald's mm-hmm. is a prime example. They have systems and processes. This is what we do. This is the menu. They do not have anything on the on the extra value menus that are not profitable to the company. And just yeah. there's a philosophy that goes along with that. So I love that yeah. you shared that story. So 
I wasn't planning on going here, but it aligns very much with kind of the realignment and the vision right. and getting everybody on board with it. So Ryan and Nick, they sent me a couple of texts yesterday and you had this, the team meeting that you were talking about and, and our guys came down and I, I don't know what all sections they did, but what they shared with me was how powerful the moment on champagne moments was where you yeah. did those with your team. And I think that speaks to the alignment. Yeah. that you've got going on right now. So d- any takeaways yeah. from that and, and maybe describe what a champagne moment is the way you define yeah. it in, in your firm for yeah. the listeners out there. Absolutely. You know, I, I told uh, Nick and Ryan after they came there, sorry, I was actually shocked at the way that my team you know, responded to that. First of all, I'll go back to what you said as far as like the alignment, the unity. Uh, So every year we have an annual kickoff meeting where we lay out the goals and that kind of stuff. And so all day long, uh, we had our kickoff meeting start the year yesterday. Um, Everything was great. You can tell that this great sense of unity, we're all on the same mission, all have the same vision, all have the same purpose. I would just even use, uh, you know, the Chris Smith word, the calling. All of us feel called to be here. You know, you you guys, you know, Triad, we we talk an awful lot about uh, the right seats and then the right people in the right seats. I looked across that room yesterday and I was able to say to everybody on my team, none of you were my second choice. Every single one of you, I Mm. wanted to be here. You guys are the ones I wanted. I would have been disappointed if you didn't choose to be here because they're all telling me, hey, this this is great. We love being here. I'm sitting there looking at them thinking, I I know where you guys could be, where you could could be at, all these kinds of things. So I loved having them there. I finally feel like we have the right seats. I know we have the right people in the right seats. And so this whole sense of this stuff. And so going to a champagne moment, uh, Nick and Ryan, I invited uh, these guys to come out because uh, you know, I spend time with them and they do coaching with me, but my team doesn't really interact with them as much. And so I thought it'd be great for these guys just to share whatever you want to share. Hey, we're starting the new year. Uh, you guys come in, whatever you think my team needs to hear. And so uh, these guys decided that these guys, you know, we should share, we should have your team go through the exercise of do business, do life. Uh, what are some things that you could do in your business professionally that would make it feel like, you know, you accomplished something this year? What could you do in your personal life that make you feel like you accomplished something this year? And when, when you first hear about this, you know, it's like, okay, we'll do it. It's January. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's have the team go through this. They'll like this. It's going to take up 30 minutes. And, uh, I, you know, I was not expecting because I, I get, I have to do this all the time and I get to do it with you guys and that kind of stuff. My team never gets to do this. And I know you guys have encouraged us to do this, but I was shocked when we got done with this, when the Nick and Ryan asked everyone to go in the room and say, why don't you share what your, you know, do business, do life goals were, man. And I'm telling you, just as the owner, just as the founder, when I heard what some of them wanted to do, it, you know, really got to me and what they want to do in their, you know, personal life. And some of them, even yesterday, literally could not get through what they, they want to accomplish. And so, you know, I'm sitting there listening to these things and uh, it really hit me. So that was a great exercise. You know, and I think what these guys did to say that two things that were important, and that is the reason why it's good to share these things is, yeah, there's some accountability. This is not pressure, but hey, there's some people, if you hang this up on the wall, uh, that other people can be like, hey, man, have you, have you taken that trip yet? Did you do that thing? Yeah. Have you that class? So there's accountability there, which I think is good. Number one. Number two, it's more about what can everybody else on the team do to help you do that? Hey, man, if that's what you want to do, what can I do to help you get there? Then I thought those two reasons 
for doing it were powerful. I thought, you know, what my what it forced my team to think about what they want to do was powerful too. So I really appreciated it. It's something that impacted me more than I thought it would. And certainly something that we want to, you know, put up on the wall so people can see it and that kind of stuff here too. Thanks for sharing that. That brings tears to my eyes hearing it. It's interesting as business evolved, how things come to be. And we did our first champagne moments at Triad, our very first launch experience, which was in Nashville, 2022. And we wrote all of them down. And then we hung up in the lobby so that our team could see your all's champagne moments. And the first year we didn't say do business, do life. We just said, what's a champagne moment, which is something you want to pop a bottle and celebrate a year from now. And then last year, so 2023, we said, wait, let's go ahead. You know, we're about doing business and doing life here. Let's make sure you've got at least one do business and one do life. And then, so Jaina on our team, she came back and we, we had our team meeting following that. And she said, Hey, well, you guys do champagne moments at launch. Why wouldn't we internally do champagne moments? And we're like, we're like, we're like this light bulb goes off. We're like, well, that's a no brainer. You know, that's like, why, why did we not think of this? Because guess what? Your team wants this stuff too. They want to win in business. They want to win in life. And um, it was the very similar experience that you just explained. We're like, there were shares where people mm-hmm. literally tears rolling yes. down the face. And you also, I think as a leader, what's really cool about that experience is you learn who your team is. Like, right. what are they about? What yeah. matters to them? And as you know, like, that's why people stick around. You know, right. yes, paychecks are amazing. But if they know you actually care, right? that's why they want to be there. So I, I love that you shared that. Were there any other ahas for you as a, as a leader founder that just kind of came out of seeing like what came about when you have those conversations? Well, um, I think you do realize then, you know, what is important to them as individuals. You know, we don't sit around and talk about that. You know, we've got a job to do. We've got work to do. We all, we like each other. We, you know, have fun together. Everyone is excellent at their jobs. So what we normally do is uh, we're going to work. I'm not asking them what it's important to you in your life that you, you know, spend time with mm-hmm. your kids and wife or your kid, whatever the thing may be. So to hear that and how intentional they want to be about some of these things or exercise or whatever it is and what they want to accomplish, it does feel like you got to know who they are, what's important to them. As a founder, sadly, I, I would say that what hit me was I never asked them that. You know what I mean? I never, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I know them. I feel like I know what's important to them. But I never asked um, those kinds of questions like that. And so for, that's why it was shocking for me to hear in a good way. Yeah. I was pleased yeah. as the owner, as the founder, I was pleased to hear what some of them want to accomplish in business. Think about that as the founder of your firm. When you find out what your team is saying, they, I mean, we had guys on our team. I had a guy on my team yesterday who said, I want to, you know, close, you know, I, I want to bring in five new households per month. We have a goal for this year. He, him personally, I want to close five new, you know, that was, whoa, yep. that's amazing. All right. Uh, this one over here wants to do a certain number of annuity cases this year. He's new to the, you know, so you start hearing these things as the founder and I didn't know that. I didn't know that would be a goal that they would have if, if no one had asked them. So that was huge. It was a blessing to me as the founder to find out what they wanted to do in business their business goals, because that's going to impact me. That's going to impact this whole firm. Uh, so that was awesome mm-hmm. to hear. Um, and then certainly your reaction to that is, 
I want to help you do that. Whatever you said there, one guy said he wants to get a certified for, he's close to being a CFP. He wants to finish that this year. You better believe I want to help him do that. You know, so there's things like, and there's the do life things where you find out, okay, you know, and some of them were very personal, but it's like, hey, if there's anything that I can do, you can do as the founder to help them get that done. You realize how impactful that's going to be more than your, you know, monthly lunch you do or whatever the case may be. There's some things that they said uh, that would make a difference to them. And now all of a sudden, now you know what you can do. Yeah. I'll tell you something that came out of a conversation like this by sheer accident. Maya Angelo, I'm probably mispronouncing all this, the Maya Angelou. Angelo quote on people don't remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel. It was a conversation like that with a a former team member. And I found out they had some college loans still. Yeah. And I don't remember the exact number. I I think it was three or four grand and maybe five grand. And they were chipping away at them. And I thought to myself, you could write a check for an end of year bonus for four grand, or you could write a check for the exact amount of those college loans and say, congratulations, your college loans are paid off. Mm -hmm. And knowing those do life goals, you know, they could be trips, they could be CFP. It just unlocks this whole other level as a leader where you can actually put the money you're spending anyway to support Mm -hmm. your team and have great talent around you to actually a more meaningful use where it's like, now it's tied to an experience or a memory or something that they've been striving towards And I remember in that moment when I handed this girl the check and tears started flowing, I was like, wow, how can I do more of this? This is the most fulfilling thing as a human I think you can do, which is give to someone else that obviously earned it. And it's the most meaningful thing. So now you've got all of these other tools in your arsenal for this upcoming year of how you can reward your team. And that truly was like the most valuable part of that exercise. And that is finding that out exactly what actually makes a difference to them. We think a lot of times here as the founder, we have the answers. We're going to do a great, you know, thing and advance and all that kind of stuff. And you find out what actually would be meaningful to them is that. And so it, it reminds me of the show. You, you've probably seen it. Yeah, I always used to undercover boss. I used to love yeah. watching. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's one of those shows that you cannot watch without just bawling your eyes out at the end because all they do is just they get to know their, you know, team members, they find out what they need, they meet that need and the reactions to what you got. And that is that team member, you know, you did what they said they needed or wanted. And so I've always felt like that show made a great impact, you know, on me. I always love watching that. That's what this sounds like like this, but we don't have to go undercover. You don't have to put on the fake money. Yeah, no, that, that's it. That's a great example. It is. It's kind of yeah. a version of undercover boss with your team sharing whatever they're open to sharing yeah. and yeah. and how you can more impact them on the business side, on the life side. Well, yeah. speaking of DBDL, another thing I wanted to make sure we got into today, you came and I think it wasn't too far after the first time we met. You said, I kind of love what you guys did with Do Business, Do Life. It's your mission. It's what you're about at Triad. I think Wise Wealth needs its version of DBDL, which led to G-S-E-L. So please share your takeaways, like how you came up with it, how you put it into action, what you've seen since you've run with that. Absolutely. You know, it's just great about this industry. Sometimes you go, you hear something, you see something. It's always great when someone doesn't just go take it and copy it exactly. They come up with their own version of it. So um, I heard, you know, DVDL, man, and it's like uh, one of these things, you know, hashtags are, you know, popular. So I saw that made sense to me. I love what it meant. And so we started thinking about here, 
what are we all about? How can we take this mission, which is sometimes wordy, and get it mm-hmm. to something that people, that this is all they need to know. So we came up with the hashtag G-S-E-L, give, serve, enjoy life. So our mission, I'll just say it, the mission of Wise Wealth is to guide families on a path that makes work optional and to empower them with the freedom to give, serve, and enjoy life like never before. I can either say all that, or I could say hashtag G-S-E-L, give, serve, enjoy life. So we put on everything. It's strategic. I told my clients, and you guys did the same thing. I think this stuff you guys told me to do too. If it's important to you, you trademark it. So I went out and got, I, I tell our clients, this no one else is using hashtag GSEL. This is us. This is not a thing. This is the why as well thing. Uh, we went and trademarked this, copyrighted this thing. Number one. Number two, I always tell my team, there's not a lot of things on the wall in our office when you come here. There's pictures and things like that. There's not very many words. Okay. One statement when you walk into our conference room is treat others the way you want to be treated. That's just the golden rule. So our clients see that. The only other words we have on our wall, and it's a massive wall. And in our conference room, when you walk out the door of our conference room, there's only there's a huge wall there and you can't miss it. It's hashtag G-S-E-L. So we know that everybody who comes in our office, they can't miss seeing that. And so it's just ingrained into them for their very first visit. This is what we're all about giving, serving, and enjoy life. Why do you need a retirement plan so you can give, serve, and enjoy life? Why do you need wise wealth so you can give, serve, you know what I mean? We, 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 we talk about it, you know, constantly. It's really where we're wanting to get everybody to as soon as possible. Do you have any fun stories? Our experience at Triad has been, DBDL was a very organic thing. It wasn't some master plan. It yeah. came from a hike Sean and I took at, at Blackberry Farm back as I was transitioning out of my old business into what became Triad. But one of the things that's been really fun to see how DBDL has showed up from you all, our Triad mm-hmm. members. It's like, hey, I'm out here. It's become like a verb. I'm out here DBDL and, you know, and it'll yeah. be like a family yeah. picture on the lake or something. Have you seen any fun stories yet from your clients where they're starting to take on that language and and kind of use it among themselves oh, yeah. or where they're interacting at events. What what are some fun things yeah. that have come out of it? I, I think you've got to be intentional with it. So we've got a great marketing director. So she is constantly putting it out there to our clients. Look, if you take a trip, if you're on vacation, if you're doing these things, mm-hmm. let mm-hmm. us know. Hashtag GSEL, put it out there. Use this hashtag. So she does a great job of following up with people after they go on trips. If they're doing a giving project, if they're doing a service project, hey, take a picture, let us use that. So she'll put it out on social media. And so our clients, anybody who's familiar with us, they'll see it. It's not just us doing it. Anytime we're doing it, we're going to take a picture and do it. But anytime our clients are doing it, we're proactively asking them to send in the pictures, tell us the story so we can put it out there. So, you know what I mean? Uh, I think you guys just have to be intentional with it. Uh, we haven't gone so far as to get the clothing line yet. You know what I mean? You guys have got, you're taking this one step further. I like the shirt you're wearing, but uh, I love it, man. There you go. My son was out there in one of the trips, man. It's like his his favorite shirt. He loves how it fits. He likes how it folds up. And uh, but we haven't gone there yet. I know you guys have some ideas in mind for uh, clothing, but uh, but yeah, GSEL is the culture. I, I tell my team. I looked at him across the you know yesterday in, in our training. I said, look, I want everybody on this team to be free to give and to serve and to enjoy life. This is not just for them. This is for every single person on this team. I want all of you guys, like you guys do, try it. You want your everyone on your team to do business through life. We're very intentional about it for our team. We have dates in the calendar for our team to give, serve, and enjoy life. So it's not just for our clients. It's for our team. It's for us as individuals. And certainly, we're going to model it for the clients. And then even with our clients, 
we're not saying to them, go out there and GSEL. We're saying, go out there and GSEL, but here's three events we're going to do this year. If you if you need an opportunity to serve, here's a service yeah. project. You're, those kinds of things. It's just a part of everything we do. And what, I think a, a really important distinction you just made there, Stephen, that I think, unfortunately, a lot of founders miss it, not on purpose, on accident. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's all the stuff we're doing for our clients. We're going to give them a better retirement, give them a better life. And then you've got this team surrounding you and they're like, well, what about me? And you're like, no, we want that for you too, but you don't always message it properly. Right. Right. So I love that you took the intention and said, Mm -hmm. no, it's not just for our clients. Yes, we do want that for them, but we want it for you too. And here's how we're going to help you deliver on that. And just, I mean, back to the champagne moments. Yeah. You don't know how you can deliver on that if you don't ask. Right. You know, so now, now you're asking. And I, I love that you incorporated that this year. Well, I'm looking at the clock. Our time's ticking down. I want to, you have a really fun side project, but it's like, it can, it's also, as I think about it, it creates a really cool vibe because it's right next to your, your headquarters, your office. You actually opened up a coffee shop Mm -hmm. um, named, named Frost. And it's, I believe right next door. I haven't had the chance to come down and visit it yet, but just up the street. Oh, it's it's a block away. So it's a block away. And so tell me about that. Is there any, was there any like, call it master plan of, hey, we're going to bring a lot of people into the coffee shop and hey, obviously I run a financial services firm a block away, or was it just now it's a fun side project in a different business I run all together? Right. Um, It's funny. I'm glad you brought that up. So Frost Coffee and Tea has been a fun project. It's been open just a little bit over a year. And I'll just talk quickly how it got started. the, The location where Frost Coffee and Tea is now used to be my office. It was the headquarters of Wise Law for a few years. And so when we outgrew that space, we're in a neat little downtown Main Street, USA type of area. A lot of little shops and restaurants and uh, bars and, you know, studio, all these kinds of things. It's really cool down here. So when I moved to a new location in this downtown Main Street area, I kept that one. It has all these windows in it. It's right on the corner. The whole time I was in there as an office, I used to think this ought to be a coffee shop. This is a great location for that. But I, I, you know, I don't know anything about a coffee shop, so I just I rented it out. I moved to where I'm at now, but then towards the end of you know a couple of I guess a year and a half ago, I'm looking at that spot again. I had the great location, and I had a guy in my office who happened to be a coffee. We called him a prosumer. Man, this guy would go to coffee shows. He loved coffee. He knew people in the industry. He knew the roasters. I was like, you know what? I've got the location. I've got the guy. We're just going to do it. So this was never like a dream of mine. It was like a life goal, but. I definitely am a coffee drinker. I found myself needing an afternoon coffee every day. So I'd find myself a lot of times a coffee shop. So this worked out great. Um, downtown community, you know, it's not necessarily to, you know, it's great for the community. It's a great place for people to go to. I'm going to come back to my clients. I heard someone, someone gave me a quote one time, you know, seasoned business owner. And he said to me, he said, the great way to make a lot of money owning a coffee shop is to have a lot of money before you start the coffee shop. <laughs> you know, I, the margins are great. So I would not sit here and tell everybody, hey, open up a coffee shop because the margins are going to be incredible. So, um, but we opened it. But for us, it is, a, it is a community thing. We've always offered our clients, like we've always customized bags of coffee for our clients, just something that's always been important to us. So now we can give away that coffee. So a lot of times we'll order in coffee from down the street and bring it in here for when our clients come to meet. A lot of times we'll finish a meeting here and we'll say, hey, you want to run up to Frost and grab a coffee? 
We have a conference room there, so we could always meet there to begin with anyway, because we have a private That's room. cool. Yeah, That's so we cool. were intentional when we opened that place up. We I made it a conference room, so I could always meet there if we wanted to. But more times than not, our clients are coming here. We're either pre-ordering it when they come in, or we're saying, hey, let's run up the street and grab a coffee. So it's worked out really good. And by the way, well, um, any client of Wise Wealth, <laughs> we have a keychain, just the insider information. There's a keychain that has the Wise Wealth logo on one side. Frost on the other. If you're a client of Wise Wolf, you always get a discount when you go there. You know what I mean? Those kinds of things. So that's clients- cool. Yeah. That's a that's a fun little perk. Um, yeah. And I think there's was Paul your your coffee yeah, connoisseur. Paul, coffee I, I thought that. Okay, I thought it yeah. was. So yeah. So um, if you look at that, number one, there's a few lessons there. You took one of your team members' talents and passions. Yes. And you put it to work, and I'm sure Paul's like super jacked about everything oh, yeah. going on was, down the road. Yeah. Yes. And then you've got the community, which, by the way, give, serve. Mm-hmm. Right there, you created a cool experience in your community, an environment, coffee shops where all these yeah. connections work, business conversations, catching up with friends, yeah. and you create an environment. And so, you know, there might not be a direct, like, we got five referrals from Frost Coffee yeah. Shop this month, but there's a goodwill brand ambassador sort of feel that you get from that. And I, I love that. And then the perks, who doesn't love a perk of like, Oh, I promise wise wealth's clients, their coffee shop is frost because they get a discount. Right. So they probably drive right by Starbucks to go right to frost because they're like, well, I get, you know, 10% off here. One of those things. Yeah. It's a membership type of thing and an exclusive love. Not everyone has the keychain, And so, uh, yeah, it's been really That's cool. cool. Yeah. It's fun. Oh, well, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, um, one more thing, if we're good on time here, because I know you've got a book about ready yes. to a, a revised, updated version of your first book, Simplify Your yeah. Retirement. And as we were talking just before we went live, and I know a lot of financial advisors out there uh, have written books, used books in their business, their marketing. We've got a lot of triad members that have done that. But your uh, road to a book was very different because it came through your educational classes, the curriculum yep. that you really refined over multiple years of doing that. And you said, wait, let's put this into a book. So give me your learnings of like life before the book, life after the book, how has it impacted your business? Yeah. Um, I would just say, yeah, I was teaching this class. It was the two day, five hour course. And I was like, you know what? I'm talking for two days, five hours. This has got to be enough for a book. So literally the book that I wrote called Simplify Retirement is really that course in a written format. It's just everything, all the things we taught there. And so a lot of people can write a book. If you're teaching, if you're educating, take what you're saying and teaching, put it into a book. And so certainly, like everybody probably knows, I mean, when you write a book, certainly you become an authority. Uh, when you write a book, you become credible in people's eyes. And so it doesn't matter, you know what I mean, how you get the help done. I, I would just encourage everyone to write your own book. I, I know in the industry, I used to see things where, hey, uh, I, I'm going to write this book and you can put your name on there as the four or whatever. Well, no, don't do that. Write your own book. You have something to say. You believe in something. You know something. So I would just say, don't borrow someone else's book and put your name on it. I think clients personally, uh, this is just me, see through that. I decide I'm never going to do that. I'm going to write my own book. And so it just gives you something else to put on every single thing, You all your branding, all your marketing. Why should they go to your dinner seminar versus the other guy's dinner seminars? Because you wrote the book and you're going to be there and you're going to give them a signed copy. So it just adds to the credibility. It adds to the authority. It gives you a reason to stand up and speak and people just respect it. Uh, And that's what I found too. And 
it certainly is a lot easier to hand out a book than a business card. And so, you know, I, I haven't carried around business cards for years. If somebody needs to know who I am, what I am, here's a book. I don't carry around business cards, just give out books. Certainly for your clients, it's the same thing. Look, man, you know, we have copies of these books. These are for you. These are for anybody that you know. You know, so constantly in our, in our meetings, in our review meetings, it's not, hey, if you know somebody, invite them, you know what I mean? Uh, give them a business card. No, we don't say that. If you know somebody, here, take two or three books. Anytime anybody says something to me like, oh, man, I was talking to a buddy at work about you guys, I, here's a book. So you have something tangible to give them that will educate them on who you are, what you believe, and, and hopefully they'll call in after that. So extremely valuable to me, to my business, for sure. Did you go about writing it? You just transcribed, like recorded your classes and then had a writer turn it no, into a book? Was I that the writing process? The system uh, you guys use now, you know, basically I, we, I had someone like a ghostwriter, but it was a series of interviews. So it took me like eight or nine months. Mm-hmm. We basically taught you, we basically, you know, he interviewed me for like an hour, you know what I mean? A month and did that chapter, you know, so then we just kind of put it all together. Yep. Right the whole book so it was still someone else sitting there typing it or tra- it wasn't just me talking and then transcribing it it was an interview type of process they took what i said and tried to write it down in the book then i would just edit it and you know, make sure it sounds like me well the uh the best-selling book in the world was not written by the author you knew this right right yes yes i knew that one several you, you know this one yes that's right the, I know this the bible the Bible were just stories, stories that were shared and written down. So, um, so you do not have to be a writer to write a book is the lesson out of that. That's right. Well, um, Steve and I've really, really enjoyed the conversation today. Unfortunately, the time went too quick. I just have one, one final question, Mm -hmm. as you know, here on the do business, do life podcast and being a triad member, that's what we're all about. So I would love to hear what is Steven Strickland's definition of doing business, doing life. Uh, yeah, I always uh, love that question. You know, to me, it really does. I, I guess I would just have to say my calling, my passion in both business and life, they they align. And that is helping people be free to give and serve and enjoy life. So I love to do that in business. It's why it's what energizes me every day. I had a, you know, you want to call it a crisis, you know, a few years ago, I'm thinking to myself, should I be helping people retire? Should I be helping people make a lot of money and, and, and amass all this money for what reason? But when I realized, you know what, no, if I can help people be free to give serve your life, I want to do that for as many people as possible, uh, as many times as possible, and all those kinds of things. So having a mission, a passion, a purpose um, is number one. So in business, it means helping people do that. But then also, just in life, you know, I want to do this personally. I want my, you know, family to be able to be free to do this. Gives, or it's not just about us. It's not about all the things that we can have and attain and and, and do and the trips and all these things. It's about giving back uh, financially. It's about giving back time, service. It's about doing some things that in life that we we should be able to enjoy. So I, I'm kind of the same person in business and in life. The same passion, the same calling, the same desires. Hashtag GSEO. Well, hey, there's nothing better than alignment on both yeah. sides there, right? Yeah. And yeah. I remember when your crew was out in South Carolina, when yes. you did the the founders retreat at the Montage, you were a bowling alley over. Yeah. And that that to me, I mean, that's that's why we that's why we reimagined what used to be called an incentive trip. Right. You know, in, in our industry. And I'm like, nah, let's let's make it a retreat where yeah. you know, if you've got a family. You don't have to pick business or doing life. You can just integrate it and just yes. do it both all together. And it's it's just been cool to see that thing, how the community, yep. you 
and other members have embraced that. And it's uh, now I see the kids like getting excited about seeing each other, and it's it's yeah. just so fun. So my son was um, I love that you've you jujitsu and, uh, and oh that, yeah that kind of stuff. He had a great time. Yes, and uh, right. He took off with Ryan on a hike one time, left me in the dust. But uh, so it's nice. awesome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, my man, looking forward to connecting in about a week in Scottsdale. Yes. And um, in the, we picked the right location because it will be much warmer than Kansas and Missouri right now. So absolutely, uh, no snow excited there, to, yeah. to. All right, my man. Well, enjoyed the conversation. Until right. I see you in a week or so. Thanks. All right. Thanks for listening into this week's episode on to this week's featured review. It comes to us from iTunes user Stonewood88, five stars. They say DBDL, five stars. I'm a new listener to the DBDL podcast. It is five-star quality and a must listen. As an advisor, it has given me some great insights and inspiration that I can do this on my own and control my future and search for that champagne moment. The guests have been outstanding. I've especially enjoyed the Triad Founders episodes. Well, thank you, Stonewood88, whoever you are out there. By the way, uh, if you haven't connected with us on social yet for the podcast, at DBDL Podcast on just about any platform, should connect you and let us know that this was your week's featured review. Love to send you out a, a book from past guests or maybe some swag. I really appreciate these words, uh, specifically the fact that you're taking your future into your own hands. And I love that you're using our language about finding your own champagne moment with a, a triad. We, our definition of that is what would you pop a bottle and celebrate 12 months from now? So every year uh, we do that with our triad members in January, we have them write down a do business champagne moment, a do life champagne moment. Those hang in our lobby here at our headquarters in Lawrence, Kansas. And our team walks by them every day because it's our goal to challenge our members more than they've ever been challenged and support them more than they've ever been supported. So it's been pretty amazing to see some of the awesome champagne moments come out of our community. Things like taking a summer sabbatical to hang out uh, with our boys in Nantucket. Things like dropping 60 pounds to get in better health physically. Uh, things like taking that trip to Italy for anniversaries. And what's crazy is the most inspirational ones very rarely have anything to do with business. Oftentimes it's on the do life side. So Love that this show is challenging you to set your own champagne moment. And please, um, as you all hit those, if you set them out there, let us know about them. Tag us on social. We'd love to celebrate those champagne moments with you. So thanks again, Stonewood88, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Do Business, Do Life podcast. As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations.